Hey everyone, today's guest, Ashley Flowers, is the founder and CEO of the Audio Chuck Podcast Network and the host of Crime Junkie, which is one of my very favorite podcasts. Ashley's compassionate approach to true crime takes our fascination and guilty pleasure, then turns it into a true benefit to society. Her nonprofit, Season of Justice, supports victims of unsolved violent crimes and their families by providing funds for billboards, private investigators, and even DNA testing. You can find out more in our show notes. I am just so impressed and inspired by everything Ashley is doing. Later in the episode, April and I talk with a listener who can't figure out whether she should break up with her boyfriend or move in with him. But first, here she is, Ashley Flowers. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. Hi, Ashley. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I am great. I'm really excited to be talking with you. I'm really excited to be talking to you. This is like kind of a big deal for like somebody who lives in Indiana. (laughs) I love you. I want to get into all of that. But I want to tell you, we bought a camper van last year, and we've been driving all around the West Coast. And on our journeys, we listen obsessively to your podcast. Thank you. So for our (laughs) listeners who haven't heard your podcast, I could do a summation, but would you mind doing it? Sure. Yeah, so Crime Junkie was started the very end of 2017 with me and my literally childhood best friend, Britt. And it kind of got started a whole different host of ways. I was on the board of a nonprofit that I was trying to get some attention for. I was a huge fan of true crime podcasts myself, and there was a show I couldn't find. And finally, I was like, well, what if we just try and make it? So the whole point of the show, I thought it was going to be this like cool local Indianapolis thing where we could bring attention and awareness to cases specifically to nonprofits and start advocating for different causes and stuff that like fall into the true crime space because we touch so many different areas. And we wanted this to be like our way of helping. And it has just exploded. So every week we tell a different true crime story. It's kind of the story that like I'm obsessing with. And we tell it in a way that I used to just tell Brit when nobody was listening in. The best part about this show is this I've been doing this for years and now there's just a mic and other people get to hear it. Ashley, what I love about you and Britt is how you will cover a case very comprehensively with a lot of research that you guys have done and you cover it with compassion and care towards the victims and survivors. And I really appreciate that because there is a little bit of a salacious feeling because we do all have a fascination with crime. Yeah. And I just really, really appreciate and I wanted to compliment you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm glad that that's what comes through because that has been the most important thing to us. And it's something that I've tried to instill even in our fan base in a way is that I think there is an ethical way to consume these stories, to interact with these stories. Our mission statement really is to change the way people interact with true crime, because I hope that that's the way the industry is moving. These are real stories. And like, what can you do afterwards to move the needle in the true crime space? I would have loved to have been a cold case detective. I'm never going to be a cold case detective, but I figured out a way to help in this space in my own way with my own talents. And I, I hope that that's like what our listeners are getting week after week. Ashley, I want to ask you about your life, but while I have you, it's so delicious to be able to talk to you about a few different things. Yes. My theory about Washington State is that 
between the gloom yes combined with the economic depression during the 80s and 90s maybe cultivated weirdness And I don't know what the gender ratio is now, but I think at one time it was not unlike Alaska a little bit. You know how there's like four men to every one woman. It's a sausage fest. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) So I think that there was a little bit of a gender ratio. I should tell our listeners the reason why I brought up Washington State with you is because you and Britt often comment, and I feel like I've known this for years. I grew up with a Green River killer being on the news, and my uncle lived next to Ted Bundy. We should talk about that. (laughs) You can't just, like, throw that in there. (laughs) But there does seem to be an abnormal amount of serial killers coming from that area. Serial killers and just weird crime in general. I mean, it literally has become kind of this trope on our show. Like, we had a shirt once that said, just stay out of Washington. And specifically, there's this, like, Bellingham, King County. like, And right up there, you've got Vancouver and Canada yeah. with the pig farm. Oh, God. So much is happening there. And I think you're right. I think it has something to do with the doom and gloom in the area. I was, again, I was talking to your producers about I grew up in the Midwest in an area that was, like, overcast all the time. And I ended up moving to Arizona, and I was like, oh, my God. People must not know that the sun comes out. Like, if they knew, no one would live there. When I first moved to Los Angeles, I was like, why am I so happy? Yeah. Like, what's going on? I think that that's part of it. I also think the one thing that you didn't mention is the landscape itself, I think, lends to places to hide bodies. Like, there's a lot of wilderness there where you can get away with stuff, where you can hide your evil acts. Is there a region of the United States that just doesn't seem to have like they're no there's bad people everywhere i mean like i am working with a private investigator actually on a case in itty bitty argos indiana and it's the middle of nowhere like an hour from where i am but like farm fields as far as the eye can see it's this teeny tiny town and they have two crimes that are like you wonder why they don't make like the news the way like john benet or scott peterson did like it's everywhere it's just i don't think you hear about it from the little places Do you think it's possible for a serial killer to operate successfully now? Absolutely. It feels so difficult between DNA and phone tracking. And I know that there's the Long Island serial killer. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know if they're active still or they just haven't been caught. They haven't found any new bodies in a long time. That doesn't mean that they've stopped because they haven't caught anyone. And, you know, there's a whole debate on, I think there were 11 bodies found. Are they all actually the victims of one killer or multiple killers? That's a whole thing. But I, I do think that serial killers can still operate. The ones that are successful are the ones that are going after strangers because that's where the ties are so hard to make. And specifically when people of marginalized communities are targeted, whether that's, you know, people with substance use issues or sex workers or even just people of like racially marginalized communities that truly aren't getting the investigative attention that other people are, like that's how these killers are able to continue to operate and fall through the cracks. Yes, they might even have all the same stuff to solve it, but they're not getting the attention. And I know that, like, one argument against the death penalty or for the death penalty is that there's a perception that it could be a deterrent. And that's been proven incorrect. 
One thing that I have noticed is the people who do this, who are compelled to do this, nothing will stop them. Even if they know they're going to get caught, they will find new ways, they will find inventive ways. And even if there are no new ways, I truly believe that there's a group of people who this is a compulsion for them. And it doesn't matter, like, people commit crimes even though you know you're going to get in trouble. You do it as a kid, right? Like, you know you might get in trouble for, like, cheating off your neighbor, but you still, like, take a peek or, or something like that, you know? So I think that they know and I think that they'll do everything they can to adapt and to to change and to learn. But there's something in them that's driving them to do this. And evil is evil. And they're not going to be deterred by consequences. When I was a kid, and I know that you watched a lot of Perry Mason and Columbo. And the Matlock and all those geriatric shows, the murder she wrote. Yep. I'm so with <laughs> yes. you. I was religious about Columbo and murder she wrote. And when I was nine, I wore these like disgusting purple gloves everywhere I went for like a summer because I thought I was going to get fingerprinted. <laughs> I thought that there's a chance that I could be accused of murder in my neighborhood. I love you. Oh, my God. The mailbox was a big thing for me. You know, I clearly enjoyed living in that imaginative, sort of slightly paranoid, fearful place. But my big fear, just in general, is not the crime, but the getting caught, I think. It's so funny to say that, though, because I think that every, like, crime junkie mind works that way because I was always like, I don't want to get a job where I have to get fingerprinted. And everyone I knew was like, what are you doing in your, like, private life? I was like, nothing, but, like, you just don't know what you're going to need to do one day. (laughs) Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So I was thinking about how, like, the demographic is largely female. Yeah. And my theory is this. I think that because from a young age, we absorb a lot more of the stranger danger than our male counterparts do. So there's almost like a release, like something not not at all soothing. That is, like, the worst word to use. But... A little cathartic, yeah. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Do you think that's... Yeah. And I think there's something about wanting to be hyper vigilant, where it's almost like you're like, if I see where it all went wrong and I can do something different, like the more I can know, the more I can prepare myself. And, and we feel like there is some safety and preparedness. It's funny. We call it on our show, preparanoid. So like, yes, you're paranoid, but you're also like, <gasps> for good reason. So we're preparanoid. <laughs> and but I think that that's a little bit of what we're doing. And it's it is hammered in to women and to girls, but also like, because we often are the victims. I'll never forget, this is something that's been said over and over, but like, you know, what are men afraid of? That women will laugh at them. And what are women afraid of? That men will kill them. And so we often are the victims in the stories. And I I think there is just this need to say whether it actually helps us or not to be like, okay, well, it didn't happen to me. So my odds are likely, or what can I learn that can make sure that I don't do this or to be hypervigilant. And that has been one of the benefits of our shows. We get emails every single week from people who talk about like, listen, I was in this situation before I listen to your show, I would have done something completely different. And now I'm just much more aware of my surroundings. I have no problem like calling for help, acting weird. You know what I mean? And where before, like we have this inherent need to like be polite and not seem strange when really it's just like you have these senses, these six senses for a reason. 
I loved what you and Britt were doing with the fireball episode. I think that's what I <gasps> yes. called it. Would you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah. So the fireball episode, we actually had kind of got introduced to from another podcast called Something Was Wrong. But this girl, it was all about this online dating experience she had. She was brand new in a new city, met a guy and did all the right things. Like I drove herself separately, met up with him. And she's sitting in this bar and the guy's like blowing her off, blowing her off. I'm in traffic. I got pulled over, all these things. And this guy next to her comes over and starts chatting her up. And what she ends up finding out is eventually, after this guy's getting really persistent about, like, leaving with him, she finds out from the bartender and the waitress that, like, pull her aside, like, this guy's in here every week doing this. Like, some new person comes in, they get stood up, and this guy, like, swoops in and takes them away. And what we found out is we did this story as kind of like a cautionary tale, but then we had a ton of people write in. It's like the most amazing sort of messaging and and community that you've built. Yes. And I get chills thinking about it. Yeah, because we had so many people write in and they're like with the exact same story, like down to the fact that the girls asked to come in, order two fireball shots, sit at the bar. Like that's how these people are identifying them. And we don't know what it is, right? We don't know if it's a handful of creeps who are looking to take advantage of girls or women. We don't know if this is something bigger involved in sex trafficking. We talked with the episode uh, with the FBI and how they identify sex trafficking. But it's just like you always have to be on your toes. It's exhausting. (laughs) That is amazing, though, that you've provided a platform for people to be able to be like, yeah, that was odd for me, too. Were you in this area at this time? You know, it's really cool. I wonder how many times that waitress or bartender gave warnings. We ended up finding them after the first episode. Yeah, we did a follow-up. And they had said, like, he had come in one more time after, like, the jig is up. Like, they told the girl what's going on. And the guy came in one more time, made eye contact with the bartender, and left. And never came back to that specific bar again. So whether... They just stopped what they were doing, started operating somewhere else. I don't know. It's terrifying. If we don't talk about Scott Peterson, I might just implode. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so when my fiancé and I listened to the Scott Peterson— <laughs> Oh, my God, that was like our second episode. I don't even want to know what it sounded like. <laughs> We've been really going through the archive. <laughs> it's been so fun. But you provided—like, I believed that he was guilty, you know— I guess I just digested some media coverage. But you presented such a strong case. And my fiancé came up with a theory for his innocence, I should say. And he wants me to run it by you. I'm dying to hear it. I knew what most people knew, that Scott Peterson was charged with murder around Christmas. What was it? 2000? I want to say it was like around 2002, 2003, something like that. Yeah, somewhere in there. And then Lacey, his wife, and the unborn child were found in the bay. I think four months later, he was found guilty. Mm -hmm. Put on death row. There has been some legal maneuvering. So in 2012, I'm pretty sure his team submitted like a formal appeal to have his conviction reviewed and, and potentially overturned or a new trial. And they're still in the process of reviewing it. I think what got overturned was potentially the actual death sentence. They might resentence, if I recall correctly, but he hasn't gotten a new trial or anything. And that's still kind of in flux right now just because of, you know, they're claiming jury misconduct. They're claiming a ton of stuff in their brief. And that's why I think it's like 36,000 pages or something that have to be reviewed. I think like the most sort of damning evidence against Scott that we digested, I think, was that phone call. When he's like talking to Amber and yeah, 
He's literally at like a vigil or something for his missing pregnant wife. And he's like, I'm in Paris. And do you hear like the fireworks? And oh, like I'm having the best time of my life. And you're just like, it's hard to hear that and not be like, you are the actual scum of the earth. (laughs) He just truly seems like a total doofus because the time structure that you presented for us and the lack of any evidence at the house and the dog on the leash, I don't think he's crafty enough to think, Mom, I'm going to add this weird detail. Well, again, the guy's kind of a doofus. Like, you're calling your girlfriend who lives in the same state, your missing pregnant wife's making national news, like, she's going to put it together, and he can't even get that right. So here's the thing at the end of the day. is like, I'm not saying he's innocent by any stretch of the imagination. What I'm saying is, like, if I were on that jury, I don't know with what they had that I would have said guilty. Forgive me, I should have clarified that. You're right. You never said that. (laughs) I wanted to present it in a way that like is just different than what you've heard, because I think there was a lot that you didn't hear. My fiance had a few other ideas. Maybe I should have him tell you. Yeah. Come over here. (laughs) I didn't know he's like waiting in the wings. This is Michael. Hey. Hi, Michael. I'm dying to hear your theory. You pointed out there was no definite timeline for the guys across the street. Yeah. And that break broke in. There were. Yeah, for our listeners who don't remember this detail, there was a house that was broken into across the street. There's a theory, basically, that somehow those people saw Lacey or Lacey saw them, and that could have been what happened to her because there was this documented break-in. The problem was, and where it gets shifty, is that eventually everything official says that the break-in happened after Lacey went missing. But what people point out is, like, how would that have happened? That From the moment she was gone, her street was swarmed with media and police. Nobody's breaking into the house across the street. I mean, it was a 24-hour news cycle at that point. So it doesn't add up. And like, so what are people hiding or why is that being so shifty? Yeah, it didn't make any sense. And the thing is, like when you listen to his voicemail to Lacey, he would have betrayed himself. He wouldn't have been that good of an actor. He's such a ding dong. And then, of course, with the body, the national news is everywhere. And they're talking about the boat. They're like, hey, why don't we dump the body where they expect to find it? And, you know, the phone calls of the girlfriend were just a bad effort to normalize his life. He was like trying to be a player, but wasn't succeeding. (laughs) No, he's terrible at it. And that's what I've said. Like, he's not a good guy. Does that mean he murdered someone? No, not necessarily. The other thing that I couldn't get over was the computer logs, too, because someone's like at their house looking up sunflower umbrellas at a time when he's like already supposed to be at his boat. And the damning evidence to us was also like he told Amber in early December that he was going away. Mm-hmm. But everybody talks about their holiday plans. Yeah. It's not like a massive coincidence. If he knew that he was going to be home with Lacey and the baby because he wasn't going to be working, he knew that he wasn't going to be able to get away. Of course, he can't spend Christmas with her. He wants to. But, you know, he had this dream of going to Paris. And he already needed an excuse to not be able to hang with her. Yeah. Next year, we'll go together. Yeah. I remember at the time, they said it was like an indication he had already planned to kill her. I do feel like I'm violating your compassion a little bit by being a little flippant with Scott. But no, and that, well, I guess here's like the thing, too, is we all have this curiosity and this like desire to solve the puzzle. It doesn't change the fact that what happened to Lacey was tragic. And you know what? This is the thing that I've seen in so many wrongful conviction cases, whether that's what Scott is or not is people get so caught up in wanting someone to pay. And if they're a bad person, 
Scott's a bad husband. I think he's a bad guy. They're kind of like, well, good enough. Like, you didn't treat her right. She ended up dead. You, you kind of deserve to be there. And the thing that I always keep coming back to is, like, whatever you want to say about what they deserve or don't deserve, if they didn't do it, though, there's somebody out there who could continue to do that. And this came up a lot with Rodney Reed when his case was getting a lot of attention. He was on death row for a case that he claims he did not do. And he is not a good guy. He raped other women, other young girls. And we had posted something about, you know, we shouldn't be killing people if there's questions. And people got so upset and they kept bringing up these other rapes. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not what he's on death row for. And if he did not do this, someone else is out there. And we're not saying don't punish the people for what they did do, but Don't get so caught up that you let someone else go. Ashley, on a more personal note, would you mind telling our listeners what you do to sort of work through dealing with these horrific crimes and thinking about them? And do you ever get heavy hearted? Yeah, it's interesting because like I have been so ingrained in this community for as long as I can remember. So this has just like been my operating mode for years. And what I would say is it doesn't grind me the way I think it does for other people just because I'm always looking for like the way to help. So us telling these stories, I mean, we have a goal this year to do a million dollars in charitable giving to organizations related to true crime. So like like, I just feel like there's so much momentum in us telling these stories that like it, it gets me excited and I don't feel weighed down because I feel like we're making a difference. The one thing I will say that I don't think I was expecting is I have gotten really weighed down with the legal system. Like that is where I'm starting to feel broken because I always knew there's always going to be bad people. And for the longest time, I just have this perception that, yes, there's bad people, but we have this system in place to catch them and bring justice and and all will be right in the world. And the longer I've been in this job and really diving into these cases, the more I realize just how fundamentally broken it is. And that's like terrifying. So, you know, I take my dog for lots of walks. <laughs> I'm not like the the person to talk to about like the peak of like mental health, like wellness. <laughs> I'm still working on it. <laughs> Again, it's more like I just get this pent up energy of like, okay, well, what can I do now? Because that's what I can't do. I can't just hear something and be like, well, that's really fucked up and then like move on. I'd be like, well, then what are we doing about it? So we're also uh, working on like a nonprofit to help advance cold cases as well. So really putting my energy into that stuff I think is what keeps me balanced because at least it feels like we're doing something to like to make a change. You have a very deep sense of justice and I think that's just incredible. Do you ever podcast on the road? I do. Yeah. So like I've podcasted from many a closet. It's so funny. I always tell people I used to say, like, I feel like I got lied to a little bit about podcasting or at least like running a podcasting company because I thought for sure I was going to like do what you guys are doing. I was like, I'm going to pack up my RV and me and my husband, we're going to travel and our dog's going to be with us. And I'm just going to like make my own hours. I have never been glued to a desk in my life like I am with this job, like 12 hours a day in the office. I like I've been bamboozled. So if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? You know, I think I have a, a bit of a disadvantage in that I haven't done much traveling outside of the U.S. But right now, the place that I am in love with is Charleston, South Carolina. My husband and I went, and it was like the mental reset I needed. We went at the beginning of the year. It was just the two of us and our dog. We got a little place, stayed for a couple of weeks, and I'm obsessed. But I heard it's sinking into the ocean, and so, like, we're not going to invest in, in any property there. <laughs> 
I understand that there's serial killers all over the world, mm -hmm. but does it feel uniquely American at times? Right? Yeah. And I don't know if that's just because obviously the coverage we're getting is in English. And if there are, you know, a ton of Japanese serial killers, I probably don't know because I can't understand. But it does feel like we are the epicenter. And even when I cover a case in another country, in Mexico and Canada, so often they're calling in the FBI and their behavioral analysis units because like they literally wrote the book on serial killers. So like, what are we doing here? That is so often. Why are we like breeding them? I don't know. <laughs> oh, man, it's too much to think about. I mean, what if we just have devoted a lot of resource to it in a way that other countries haven't? That would be a very depressing thought. Right. And it's like you don't know the problems unless you focus on them. Like you can say something doesn't matter until you're like actually collecting the data. Right, right. Maybe with that in mind, maybe I should pick a new place to live <laughs> outside of the U.S. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, I have some personal questions not related to murder. <laughs> All right, so at what age do you feel like you first felt love? Or at least you told yourself that you were in love. Yeah. Uh, that's a better question. Yeah, because I think as you grow up, you realize like what you felt then was something very different. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I had my first really serious boyfriend when I went into college. So I didn't date a lot in high school. I didn't feel like I really fit in anywhere. I didn't play sports. I was like smart, but like not smart enough. <laughs> so I was like, I was good at a lot of things, but not great at anything. And so I didn't really have a boyfriend or anything serious in high school. And when I went away to college, all of my friends went to like, there's a couple big state schools. And I've always had like this sense of adventure. And I was like, I don't want to go and be in the same bubble with the same people. So I picked up and moved to Arizona. I worked full time to put myself through school out there. And I met someone out there who was like seven years older than me, kind of significantly older than me. And he and I dated for like two and a half years. And so that is what my bar was. I thought I was so in love and I had never experienced anything like that before. And the infatuation that comes with like a first time love, I think that's what it was. And God, it's so funny. Like I remember thinking we had just been together for ever. And like looking back two and a half years is just absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> You're oh, so right. My, yeah, I was with my oh first my boyfriend for over a year, and it did feel like eternity. So, yeah, I think that was the first time that I felt like I was really, really in love. 
And then did you feel heartbreak after it ended? Yeah, because it ended bad. He cheated on me. Looking back, I think he cheated on me multiple times, but I put the blinders on. I didn't want to believe it. I, I kept making excuses. But it finally got to the point where he cheated on me, left me for her. They're married with kids now. God bless them. <laughs> but, but I was I was devastated. Like, what's so amazing is I, you can't even talk someone through that from the other side, tell them that it'll be okay and time heals all and all that bullshit stuff that people say to you that doesn't feel good. But all I remember doing was I made this mix CD, <laughs> driving around in my Nissan Versa, listening to John Mayer and just wanting to like run my car <laughs> off the road. Like that, that is like the what I think of when I think of that relationship. <laughs> Do you think though, in hindsight, it was, so much about the personal rejection as opposed to the person that he was. I think that my early relationships were like that. Like, it was so devastating. But then I would, like, reread my diary and I would have written something like, I hate his long fingers. <laughs> I, and then I, I wrote, like, I really can't stand the way he laughs. He was kind of a dick, though. That's the thing. It's like when I, when I look back, I'm like, I don't even know if I liked him. Right. Like, I just wanted to be in love. And it was like, and I think that that's like the hardest part about being young and in love is you're still figuring out who you are and trying to love yourself and like yourself. And so that reflection of someone, what I took as rejecting me somehow added or took away from like the value that I was trying to already build in myself. And it's sad that you give that to someone, but you don't know you're young. I've been telling everyone this, like, people do not give 30s enough credit. I freaking love being in my 30s. And I don't know why everyone's not so excited <laughs> because 21-year-old me would not put up with any of that shit. I love being in my 40s. I just feel more content than I've ever felt, like more even keeled, satisfied, <laughs> you know? I think you figure out, like, what matters, what doesn't matter, whose opinion matters. Because you spend so much time when you're younger just, like, chasing what other people think and worrying about what other people think and how they feel about you. And at the end of the day, you're like, how do I feel about me? Like, I know. Why did that take me 30 years to figure out? As a businesswoman, what has been the key to your success? I mean, the key to my success in podcasting and, and this is, I mean, from day one, I treated it like a business. I think that that's where a lot of people, the disconnect is. They think that it'll be a hobby until it turns into a business. And before I ever put out episode one, like I had started my LLC. I literally dumped my life savings into it and didn't tell my husband because I knew he wouldn't be cool with it. Good for you. <laughs> I went all in because I was like, I'm either going to do it or I'm not. I really don't think you can go halfway in on a dream and on a business. Like if it's going to succeed, you got to go all in. And I don't know that I'm like the bar for how to do it right, though, because I work all the freaking time. You work really hard. Yeah. I had someone message me the other day on Instagram. I love when people have very uh, detailed thoughts about my life. And it was about how I shouldn't glorify being at work and overworking because I'm setting a bad example for young women. And I'm like, well, I didn't, I wasn't, I don't, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Work less? Yeah. And that's the thing is I was like, there is a work-life balance. Do I have it? No. But like, I don't want to lie to them and say that like I got to where I am by going to the gym at nine and then going to the spa and then like taking a walk with my dog. Like it's really freaking hard. And I wish someone would have told me and been really honest with me about how hard it is. 
in my 20s, I had to prioritize my career and my 30s. It felt like in my industry, especially, there's no certainty at all. So you have to work. And it came at a cost of relationships. And, you know, I didn't have a child till I was 35, but it felt so necessary in order to have the career that I wanted. It felt like there wasn't another option. Were you happy that you waited to have kids? Because that's what my husband and I are doing. Oh, yeah, I was. I love being a 44-year-old with an 8-year-old. Yes. It's like the best combination. That is like our life track like that we're on. Yeah. It worked great for me. I feel really, really lucky. Yeah. All right. Do you have a favorite book or author? I mean, like our prime Bible is anything Gillian Flynn writes. I'm obsessed with her. Gone Girl, Sharp Objects, and Dark Places. Dark Places was by far my favorite. When we made our, our Crime Junkie website in the About You section, there's like about me, about Brit, and then we put one about our listeners. And, and one of the lines is like, you're just like waiting for Gillian Flynn to like release her next book. Like we're all holding our breath. <laughs> like I've been waiting for years. I don't, she's too busy making TV. She's too popular now. <gasps> oh, okay. Speaking of TV shows, do you have favorites? I mean, I love a good binge. I don't know that I could pick like one. I'm super jazzed that Dexter's coming back soon because I was a huge fan of Dexter but hated the ending. So I'm, I love that we're getting a second chance there. I meant to get a good night's sleep last night, but I ended up binging the entire third season of Shrill with A.D. Bryant. And I am obsessed. I'm so sad that it's over. She's fan. Fantastic. She is. I had the chance to meet her over Zoom this last year and just like the sweetest person. So kind. I love her. <laughs> I've like kind of logged my quarantine in like. In like what you're been, what you're watching. Yeah. It all started with Tiger King. <laughs> exactly. And then Love is Blind. Then I moved on to like Ozark, Westworld. So I'm not a big reality TV person. I don't know why this show sucked me in the way that it did. But The Circle. Did you watch that on Netflix? I started to watch it. Should I continue? Probably not. <laughs> I really love reality television. Okay, then maybe. I don't know. But for some reason, it has like sucked in a small group of employees that work here audio check. We literally in Slack started our own like circle chat just to talk about it. But it is like the one thing where I feel like I can just turn off my brain because it is the most like mindless TV. But I don't know why I love it so much. Okay, laundry or cooking or anything like where you're doing something else. Below Deck Mediterranean. Don't do the original. What's the premise? It's about a bunch of people who work on a yacht that rich people charter. I think Brits told me about this. Yes, it's great television. <laughs> <laughs> Below Deck Mediterranean. Yes, like they're all sleeping with each other and Ooh. they always talk shit about the charter guests who for some reason are paying for this experience. Yeah, I think that's what I remember is her being like, yeah, they just like talk about how awful the people are. I'm like, do they know that this is going to be on TV? Like, yeah. or is it a free yacht? Can like, can I go? They even come back. Yeah, like, can we get a yacht? And I'm, they can talk shit about me all day. That's fine. <laughs> so the guests do like usually three days, two nights. And we think that they probably get a discount of around 40% for this experience to be publicly shamed. Yeah, for <laughs> real. And like, I guess how many rooms? Like, I'm still in like my Midwest mindset of like, how many couples can we split this between this, this $70,000? And it's great. It's great television. <laughs> All right, I'm in. Okay, so you've been married for how long? Three and a half years, but we've been together for like nine. We have this game that just came out called Deal Breakers. 
One of the cards, it states that your potential romantic partner has a bookshelf full of books on serial killers. Would that be a deal breaker for you? How would you feel? No, I'd be like, great, we have something in common. (laughs) You might be the exception. Really? I would explore it. So here's the thing. Yeah. Every book that I own is pretty much true crime. I probably look like a sociopath. I think the giveaway is, is if you open those books, is it like highlighted with like notes in the margins (laughs) of like, great idea. (laughs) Like, then it's a red flag. (laughs) Oh, God, that's awesome. (laughs) Okay, this is a really morbid question. Who do you think was the most successful serial killer? Israel Keys. He is the thing of nightmares. So this guy lived in Alaska, but he would take these trips. And on his first trip to a place, he would put together what he called a kill bucket. So he would get these like painter's buckets, fill it with cash and weapons and zip ties and duct tape and all that and like bury it. And then he would put these buckets everywhere. They haven't even found all of them yet. And then he would come back years later, dig up the bucket and find a random person that crossed his path. It could be a man. It could be a woman. It could be a couple. It could be a kid. And he would make them disappear. And he only got caught because I think he got too comfortable and he ended up killing a young woman in Alaska where he lived and taking her debit card. And he tried to like get money from her family. And that ultimately led to him getting caught. And then when they caught him, they found out that he's probably one of the most prolific serial killers ever who's gone under the radar. And he ended up taking his own life in prison. And so we really don't know who he's even connected to. But he's connected to a bunch of missing people, not even murdered people, because no one can find their bodies. Oh, When was he active? So I don't know when he started, but I believe he was caught in like 2011. Oh, wow. And so I think the most, you know, air quotes, successful serial killers are the ones that we don't know about. You know, as far as the ones that have gotten caught, Samuel Little was prolific. There was actually just a a recent documentary about him on Stars, which was really well done. But he was a truck driver who, again, took advantage of those marginalized communities that no one paid attention to. He was arrested time and time again, even for attempted murder, for rape, for actual murder, and just kept getting let go. And the last I heard, the FBI believes he killed something like over 90 women. Unreal. I can't believe that I kind of started off this conversation with a stupid assumption that it would be very difficult for a serial killer to be active because, of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, again, when you talk about like the deterrence and stuff, the Israel Keys of the world, like that's how you get away with it is he would just fly to one place, get a rental car, drive some 700 miles in God knows what direction to where he had buried a bucket years ago. So there's no like even receipts or him buying anything. And then a person goes missing and they can't even like track exactly where he was. It's just within 700 miles of where his flight took off. Are you still working with Crime Stoppers? I'm not. No. So I left the board when I ventured off to kind of start our own nonprofit, which will focus on actually testing DNA, doing advanced testing in DNA, supporting family members with funds to do billboards or to hire private investigators and stuff like that. And so I just couldn't split my time between the two and really wanted to focus on this one that I had founded. I love your comprehensive approach to your project. Do you have a name for it? It's called Season of Justice because that was kind of a term that had come up on the podcast a lot with Britt and I when they started identifying serial killers through genealogy DNA. So it started with the Golden State Killer and then we had a local case in 
Indiana, April Tinsley. And Britt and I were just like, this is it. This is the season of justice. And so every time one of these cold cases gets solved, uh, our fans have kind of known that. And so I was like, I mean, if you're going to call it anything. That is incredible. Season of justice. Season of justice. So with your work with Crime Stoppers, like how effective do people call in frequently? They do. It's amazing how many people were calling in. And, and the interesting part is the software that they use actually prevents even the Crime Stoppers people from knowing who's calling in. So it's not like they hide it before they send it off to police. Like it's all encrypted and they have no idea. But there are a ton of people that call in. Where it gets like a little political and bureaucratic is a lot of the tips that we saw here in Indiana related to crimes with like illegal weapons and drugs and not so much cold case homicides, which again was where my passion was and kind of why I diverted. But a lot of that has to do with the amount of reward. So in Indiana, you can only give $1,000. Otherwise, you have to like collect someone's W-2 information and they can no longer be anonymous. So some states, you can give substantial rewards, which actually draws in like more information on those bigger cases like homicide. But we were kind of limited based on our legislation here. When you mentioned that the real weight was our legal system. Yep. Yeah. Do you have opinions on Amanda Knox? What's interesting is we've never covered the case, but I actually had a phone call with Amanda Knox two days ago. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So she actually has a podcast as well. Oh, my God. Yeah. She heard our show on Elizabeth Smart, where we told Elizabeth Smart's story. And kind of at the end, we brought in Elizabeth Smart. So she reached out to me on Twitter and she was like, hey, I saw what you did. It was really great, really well done. If you ever want to interview someone named Amanda, like, I know a girl. (laughs) She was very funny. And so her and I connected. I wholeheartedly believe she's innocent. To me, that was one of the cases where it is so clear, like there's DNA of the guy who did it. The guy who did it is arrested. And there was just this like media portrayal of her that I can't even wrap my head around. I went to University of Washington where Amanda went and I studied in Italy, not in the same town, but in a sister program very close to Amanda's town. This was years prior to Amanda's experience. But studying there, there was a lot of local hostility towards the Americans. And when I was digesting like the media coverage with Amanda Knox, I felt kind of a different like, oh boy, for her. And you might have been the only one who saw it then because, you know, I was much younger when that happened. And all I got was that like filtered through the tabloids thing. And for the longest time, I mean, without really doing my own research, I was like, did she, didn't she? And then that's what sucks. And it has to suck for her is like, if you take five minutes to like look at it, it's so obvious she didn't. And then all the corruption and like the horrible like sloppiness with collecting Mm -hmm. evidence. And then them like lying to her and telling her she had AIDS and then taking her journals from prison where she's grappling with this this lie. I didn't know that. Yes, they lied to her and told her she had HIV in prison to like, I don't know, upset her, get her to confess something. And so she's like journaling about this and like trying to remember her sexual partners. And then they take the journal from her and then they publish that. I mean, they just, their strategy was to humiliate her into confessing something she didn't do. It was disgusting. Well, I really hope you have her on. I would love to hear that podcast. We definitely will. One last question. Would you ever like to interview a serial killer? Mm, You know, I don't 
know if I would. A lot of people ask me that. I think probably not. I'm not a professional that could like glean anything from that. And I've always said like there's something wrong, right? Like they got some screws loose to do what they do. They're crazy. And I don't think you can understand crazy. I would be trying to understand what they're doing with like logic and reason. And they don't operate that way. And I feel like we would walk around in circles and I don't want to give them any more of a platform than they already have. I love that answer. For me, I think I would find the experience so intense just being in physical proximity Mm -hmm. that I think it would not be worth whatever I could glean from the experience. Yeah, like, nah, hard pass. <laughs> Ashley, I can't thank you enough for joining us today for talking with me. I just think you're fantastic. Thank you. Please give my love to Britt. I will. I will. I'll tell her you said hi. All right. Bye. Bye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey everyone, April Buyer is back now officially as my much needed co-host. As you know from previous episodes, April brings great advice, insight, and years of experience. I am so thrilled to have her. Alex. Hello. Hi. Hi. Alex, this is April Beyer, and she's awesome. Hi, Alex. Hi. It's really nice to talk with you. Will you tell us what's going on? Sure. So basically, I graduated college last summer. So that was in 2020. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Not a great time to graduate, but whatever. Um, So I moved to a new city with my sister. And one of my favorite things to do in new cities is to go on Tinder dates and meet new people. COVID obviously made that a lot more difficult. So I ended up spending a lot of time with one guy. Um, I wasn't really looking for a relationship at the time, but I also wasn't really dating anyone else. So when he asked me to be his girlfriend, I said yes. And we're currently dating. So over the next few months, it became kind of clear to me that I just wasn't that happy. Um, My new job was really draining and I hadn't made any new friends in the new city that I was in. And I was getting more easily irritated by Josh. So you guys kind of fell into a relationship pretty quickly because of COVID. Yeah, because I wasn't really dating anyone else or hanging out with anyone else. So we just started dating 
he is an amazing guy. He's very kind and sweet and funny. And I can tell that he does really love me. This just kind of happens with every relationship that I'm in. Like I've been in a handful of relationships with amazing men and they pretty much all end the same way with me getting bored and antsy. And then I break up with them. Um, So my lease is ending soon and Josh wants to move in with me and it would save me a lot of money, but I'm also not really sure what I want to do. I'm scared to move in with him, but I'm also like scared to lose him because I don't really have anyone else in the city and he is super great. I just, I don't know if this is like how love is supposed to be. (sighs) Like, I don't know. How can you tell you're in love? This is like the story of our lives, especially like in my youth. When I first moved to Los Angeles, my boyfriend who had only been dating for like a week, maybe. But we had met on a movie in Seattle, so we already kind of had like whatever the movie set romance stuff is. But his roommate kicked him out, and we moved in together. It was my very first apartment in Los Angeles, and he had no place to go. I had a tiny bit more money than he did, and then we ended up getting married and then divorced. (laughs) (laughs) Like looking back on that, why I didn't take the moving in together situation with a little more gravity. Right. So that, Alex, as we talk, I just want you to know that I'm coming at it from my own angle. That's my personal experience angle. (laughs) So if you hear me be like, I don't know if you should move in together. (laughs) Well, you also asked, Alex, like, how do you know when you're in love? Right. I say, like, you know when you're not. Okay. I don't know, April. Really? I did a lot of convincing of myself. My world felt so dominated by work that it felt like a relief to just have that element taken care of. I don't know if I stopped and really examined my feelings, I guess. Well, a lot of people just want the security and the safety of a relationship. And so we do make these kind of intellectual decisions, right? Not with our heart, but with our head of like, hey, you know, it's easy. What I worry about, Alex, is, you know, we all did it because it was a money saver. Right. (laughs) And now we have this added element of people feel isolated and lonely. So you've got those two things. It's emotional scarcity and it's financial scarcity. But pandemic or not, we've all done it. We all made those decisions to move in with somebody when it wasn't the love of our life. And a lease situation gets really hard. Like when I did start to make significantly more money than my ex, I knew there was a point we got into an awful fight and we were both on the lease together. I thought that I would have to like pay for him and I didn't think I had enough money. Like I would have to pay to break up with him, which in the end I also had to do as well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, ouch, ouch. That hurts my soul. (laughs) Hey, hey, uh, you know, there's like 10% like bitter in there. (laughs) (laughs) Only 10? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I try to keep it, you know, at a minimum. So wait, Alex, tell me about this element. Do you think that Josh loves you or cares for you more than you do for him? Like, is the balance around 60-40? Yeah, probably. And I I just feel like that's like most of the relationships that I get into. It does end up where I feel more emotionally distanced from it. Like, I can tell like he is so ready to move in and he's talking about marriage and... I don't know. I'm just like, I don't know. (laughs) That's a lot. And did you write that he's younger than you? 
Yeah, he's a couple years younger than me. So he actually still lives at home. And I haven't lived at home since I was 18. Also, I'm not sure if I want to be the first person that he gets an apartment with. I don't know if I want to be the one who has to, you know, sort everything out and like get the lease like sorted out and figure out the credit scores. And Yeah, you know what we have in common, Alex, with our situation in terms of like new relationships, new city, is that when we moved in together, his lifestyle was the only way I knew Los Angeles. Right. Because I was so new here. And um, it was fun, but I definitely limited myself. But I also think that's why I moved in with him and why I was in such a long relationship with him because I wanted that safety in a new city. Yeah, it's very convenient because he does have a huge family. He has six sisters and they're all so involved in his life. Oh boy. And my family obviously lives pretty far away. So it's nice to have those people, but then it's also kind of scary because like his sisters will ask me like, oh, so you guys can move in together soon? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe. What are they talking about? (laughs) Do they just want him out of the house? (laughs) I think probably they want him out, but. (laughs) Yeah, I would. What is going on? You know, we're going to have so many breakups this year because of people that got together and moved in because of the convenience and the need for company during lockdown and the pandemic. There's going to be so many breakups and babies, but a lot of breakup going on. And Alex, if Josh is already talking about those next steps, he's in love with you and he's seeing like a safe future too, you know? So that's something that's drawing him. I think that you've got to cool it down, don't you think? Like, I think you might be in for some hurt feelings, but it's better than like... I know. Because it's not your fault, though, Alex. You're young. Relationships end. Like, you might not meet the person you're supposed to be with for the rest of your life until you're 30 or, or I don't know, 62. But I think between your job and Josh, that's two different sources of pressure. Right. That's kind of usurping the joy in a relationship, maybe. Yeah. So he brought up this idea, right? Like, let's live together. Yeah. Well, my lease was already coming to an end. I live with my sister and she goes to grad school. So that's kind of why I moved to the city was because she was going to grad school there and she's my twin and we graduated at the same time. And she was like, I could use a roommate. And I was like, well, I could use a place to live. So (laughs) I moved with her. So will you guys continue to move? No. No, okay. Yeah, she signed a lease with like a bunch of other grad school people, but I was also kind of getting sick of living with my sister because I've lived with her my whole life. Yeah. So yeah, so she already signed a lease, so I kind of have to find a place to live. And I'm like stressed about money because like it will be more expensive, obviously, to get an apartment by myself. So it would be cheaper to have my boyfriend live with me. But then also, I don't know if we're going to break up because we haven't been dating that long. And I've always said, like, I do not want to get married young. My parents met when they were 30 and they didn't get married until they were 32. And they're always like, do not get married. Like, just don't get married until you're ready and like financially stable and kind of have your whole self figured out. So that's what I want to do. But it would be cheaper. And I do really care about him. He is a very nice guy. So I I just don't know. (laughs) Alex, can I ask you a question? In your letter to Anna, you said that he loves you too much. Can you explain to us what you meant by that? Sure. Sorry. I don't know why I'm getting so emotional about this. I know. I can hear it. Oh, I'm sorry, Alex. It's okay. Maybe it's because I'm like beating up your scenario because of my own. It's just hard. I feel like you're taking on a lot of the guilt, Alex, about this. That's what I feel. I think April is right about that. That's a lot. That's 
new job, new city, new boyfriend, and he wants to talk about the next step all the time. Right. What's the emotion that you're feeling? Like, why are you crying? I just feel kind of overwhelmed. Um, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about why you're overwhelmed. Um. Okay. I feel like I just don't, I don't know. I haven't talked about my feelings that much to anybody. You have to know, Alex, we're just sitting here, you know, wanting to hear you, wanting to help you. Just think about this as just the three of us girls are just sitting here trying to put things on the table and we're just going to help you organize your thoughts and your feelings. So I promise you, you're going to come away from here today with new ideas. You're going to be breathing easier. You're going to feel more confident, more calm. And we're fine with your emotion because guess what? Emotion is just you working through stuff. So we're here to receive you and just listen and support you. Okay. So we're your cheerleaders. Thank you. I feel like, um, I don't know. I haven't, I have not cried about this. So I think it's just all coming out right now <laughs> at the worst time. Yeah. So, okay. Basically when I say, I feel like he loves me too much. It's just, he's very like a physical touch kind of person. Um, and I always kind of thought I was too, but I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, you are too close to me <laughs> or like, I'm spending too much time with you and I need you to leave and like, give me my own time to calm down because he is working like a part-time job at a movie theater and he's not going to school right now because he took the year off. Um, and I'm working a full-time job that I also hate. So I feel like I just need a little more time to like regenerate than he does. And he just seems so sure of the relationship. Like he's so sure that he loves me and so sure that like it's going to work out. And I mean, I do know that he's a really great guy and I do really care about him and I don't want to hurt his feelings. And I don't want to make too rash of a decision, but I'm also just like have this like hesitancy towards taking the next step or even like continuing the relationship because I, I am 23 and I do not want to get married. So I just, I don't know. <laughs> Is he as educated as you are? No. So I got my college degree. I did physics and English as a double major. And he, I think he's only completed like a few semesters at a community college. He did just apply to a few universities and he will be going to college next year to become a teacher. So, And let's talk about love language for a second. You said his is physical touch and time, right? Did you grow up in a family where you had a lot of physical touch and love? No, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. So what happens when you meet somebody, a lot of times people will think their love language is what they didn't have, right? Because you have this empty kind of big bucket of like need. But I think if you're not accustomed to a love language, it's harder. You think the mind thinks that you want it and need it. But I think love languages are a continuation of what we've always had. So that's what you're struggling with, right? You're just not accustomed to it. And also you asked us earlier, like, how do you know if you're in love? Well, you know what you don't want. And that's what we're, that's what I think we can be the most helpful with today is let's figure out what you don't want. Let's look at those love languages. And also let's look at your value. So your value was independence. You left the house at 18. You went and got a double major in physics for God's sake. <laughs> so you are highly motivated. It takes a lot of organization to do a double major like that. You're out of the house by 18. This guy comes along who is, I'm so sorry, but, and he's young, so he can do whatever he needs to do to, you know, pay the bills, but he's not as motivated as you are. He didn't invest yet in his education. So what's happening is you're in the mom role 
and you're in the caretaker role, I think the reason why you're tearing is because you feel this enormous weight of responsibility toward him. And that's probably why I'm guessing that the sex life isn't even great right now, because you're going into motherhood role of caring and taking care and providing and coming up with like all of the the plans and the details. It's too much. And it doesn't feel like you're shoulder to shoulder. And he thinks he's in love and he probably does love you, but it's coming from such an innocent place because he doesn't have a lot of background and experience in relationship yet and being on his own. So of course he's like all gung-ho because it feels so stable. Like Anna said earlier, she's like, he sees the security in you. And because he's been accustomed to security, he wants the continuation of it, but he hasn't pushed himself out of the nest enough for you to be making these decisions. And this is where your courage is going to be needed. Your courage to stand on your own two feet and assume responsibility for this and not cave. And I also think you're blaming yourself for these past relationships where you got bored, but it's also because you really were bored because you weren't really evaluating what are my needs? What is it that I want? What kind of values do I want in that guy as far as like, who is he and what does he present to me? Who is he in the world? You want to be looking up to your guy. So you might be getting bored on an emotional, intellectual level, and then you're hurting yourself saying, oh, it's my fault. I get bored quickly. But you're also getting bored because you didn't make the right choices. Does that make sense? Could you expand on what you mean by the right choices? Well, the cool thing about being young, Alex, and this is when you get to fail and fall down, like this is when you get to try on different people. And it's only through that practice where we go, okay, that didn't work. It's like trying on a dress. So I'm not blaming you for not making better choices. It's because you didn't know. You didn't know exactly what it is that you needed just yet. So you chose people who really liked you, right? Because it's easy. It's like, wow, they love me, so I should be choosing them. And what's happening is you're growing into this position in life where you're like, wait a minute, now I'm going to be the one who chooses as opposed to being the one who is chosen. And that's when you're going to take a hold of the wheel and make different choices in people. I don't think that you're just somebody that gets bored because you're not ready for a relationship. I think it's just choice. You'd probably be amazing in a relationship if you were really intellectually inspired and charged up by a guy and you thought he was like a mover and shaker in the world and doing really amazing things and he had been independent. So when I say choices, I'm not talking about blame. I'm just talking about we make the choices that we do with the information that we have. You just need more information. That's all. I came from a really academic family and I got my bachelor's in English as well. My parents had always told me, but I didn't really believe it. And I didn't think that it was necessarily a marker of intelligence. You know, I had like lofty ideas about it. And I do believe those things. But Alex, when I told you like, congratulations, it's truly because I've been thinking a lot about the dedication, the follow through that it takes to get a bachelor's degree. So Alex, it took me a while to realize that there are additional qualities that I value Alex, Anna just said something so important. I want you to make sure, I want to make sure you heard it. When she talks about college and getting her degree, it isn't about I'm smart, you're not smart. It's what she said, which was determination and dedication. When somebody pursues their four-year degree, there is a sense of completion. There is follow through. There's all kinds of traits that you need to have, not just to go, but to complete. And there's sacrifice involved. There's a whole kind of thing involved that actually they add layers into why we match with someone. And 
you know, we've seen people that are highly educated be with people that are not, but men can do it. But there's something about a woman when she's pursued her education that it just makes the relationship that much better when she's with somebody that she feels an intellectual compatibility to, because it is about ambition, dedication, follow through, determination, a sense of like, I got to get up and do this, right? Does that make sense, Alex? Yeah, that does make sense. And that is something I have thought about because I do sometimes like wish I could talk about like a book that I'm reading, like on that deeper level. And I can, like I can talk about it. And then he's always like, yeah, like that sounds great. So interesting to think about it that way, but he doesn't really contribute. And it would be nice, I guess, to have somebody that did. So I want to figure out your living situation Mm -hmm. because I think that that will be a relief to you. Because then you won't have to necessarily make a decision about whether or not to break up. Like if Josh says, if we're not living together, then I can't be with you, then I think you should break up with him. But if you say to him, I think it's too soon for us to move in together, because you don't return from that, you know, there's no like going back to a once or twice a week situation. Right. (laughs) But like, I'm excited for your sister that she's going to have this cool experience with these roommates. And I kind of want for you to have the same thing. But is that a living arrangement that you think you'd like to pursue? Like having three or four roommates that you don't know? I don't know. I did live in a house with three other girls and it was amazing. Like I generally don't connect with women that well. I don't know why. I just find it a lot easier to get a boyfriend. Um, But it was super nice to have a bunch of girls that like you talk to and we could stay up late. Yeah, I want this for you. Right. (laughs) But I mean, everybody I know is getting married and I'm living in a new city. But that's a great city, right? Yeah. (laughs) There's so many cool things going on there. As we reemerge, Josh would be at your side the whole time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, I bet he is wonderful. I really bet he is just like the sweetest thing. I don't doubt that at all. But this is where, like when I was growing up, my mom would always say, you have to be selfish in love. And I didn't know exactly what she meant for a long time. Two divorces. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what she meant. My college boyfriend, I felt like he won't have any idea of what to do with himself. Like, I thought he was going to die without me. And like some of my other boyfriends, like I felt like they don't know how to navigate the world. I am doing all of this, which did put me in like a mommy role. And I want you to be able to avoid that. Right. So can you maybe explore, though, like today even, like start looking into some different living situations? Because I think even taking that path, you can gently table the stuff with Josh, but be active in looking for a cool new situation. Like you're 23. The world is yours. So that would be my vote. April, what do you think? Yeah, Alex, you early on said part of what you love about a new city is dating people and getting to know new people, which tells me you have a natural curiosity about you. And I was going to say early on, a roommate situation would be great. But with a woman or two women that you really respect, that are independent, free thinkers, smart, ambitious, because I think you having that camaraderie with the right kind of people will help you. Because I personally don't think you need a relationship right now. You're too curious. You're too motivated. The reason why you're so dissatisfied with your job and your relationship is because it's not challenging you. You wrote to us that you're just staring at a screen all day, and then you come home and you need something that inspires you. And writing to us that he talks too much and he hugs too hard and he loves too much 
he's not a bad guy or wrong to doing that, but he's also missing elements. He's missing like, wait a minute, what does she need? I know what I need when she gets home, but what does she need? And so you having this experience of roommates, what happens with that is that you get to meet their friends and then you get to be inspired by this community of really cool, smart women. Yeah, and they're going to be way cooler than your sister's friends. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Yeah, That's very important. (laughs) Yeah, you need that. And like every girl needs to surround herself with women that are kind of like of her tribe. And that should be the first layer of any kind of dating decision because it makes you less needy, right? It feels more supportive. And then any choice you make in a guy feels like a yes and. It feels like the icing on the cake as opposed to the entire cake. Because you're falling into these relationships because it's easy and it's convenient and they care about you. But then you're not getting anything out of it. And then you're leaving quickly or not quickly enough. And Alex, I would tell your sister something like, you know, Josh and I were talking about moving in together, but I really kind of want that life experience too. So if you hear anything, you know what I mean? Like, because I do think, I don't know if I'm right about this, Alex, because I don't know anything about twins or sisters, but maybe you felt yourself in this comparative role or like maybe being abandoned by her. And I don't want you to feel that. But I think own it and ask your sister for advice or help. Everybody loves to tell other people what to do. Right. (laughs) (laughs) If I were you, Alex, I wouldn't move in with somebody because of money issues or fear of being alone. You know, you're an amazing young woman in a great city. As Anna said, we're reemerging. Like now is the time that you could be meeting all kinds of new people Don't move in because of financial reasons or convenience because it's easy to move in. It's really hard to move out. Yes, it's impossible. And Alex, I will say though, like I think that the living situation, once you start to figure out, oh, that sounds good. That seems like, you know, during your search, I believe that the issue of Josh will form itself, I guess. Like tell him, I found myself envying my sister's situation. I really want that. I miss elements of college. I want to be around a lot of people and I can't afford, you know, it's like blame it on money too, if you want. And like, he will be okay. He will be probably confused or whatever if you do end up breaking up with him. Because I think that you guys want different things in life right now. He wants security. He wants like a puppy. I was just going to say he is a puppy. (laughs) Yeah, he kind of is a puppy. (laughs) But I think that that will figure itself out. As we reemerge, there's no reason to put the pressure on yourself right now to make a definitive decision of like, oh God, I have to break up with him. Don't let that cross your mind right now. Think about where you're going to live, you know? And then that situation will naturally fall into place. And he's great for right now, you know? And you're giving him something too. Maybe in a few years, he'll say like, that was such a great time in my life with Alex. I'm glad we're still friends. Yeah, I hope we can still be friends. I'm friends with all my exes, actually. I believe that. Well, you choose nice guys. Yeah. But they're just boring. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think you need to challenge yourself. Alex, you're so young. And the cool thing is, is that your whole life is ahead of you. And you shouldn't be spending a moment stressed about this side of your life. I love that you're caring and that you're considering his feelings and you're not being selfish per se. It's just, you're just taking really good care of yourself. And I would say, challenge yourself more with some choices that you make in men. Start dating those kinds of people that you really, like after that date or that conversation, you go, wow, I have so much respect for that guy. 
That guy has a sense of adventure. That guy has a sense of freedom, sense of independence, motivation, determination. Those are the things that you need. And I think when you asked us earlier, how do I know when I'm in love? Well, you got to sit down and get a piece of paper out and write down what are the traits I really admire and respect in people? Because when women admire and respect, we start to feel those sexy love feelings for that person. We don't love men because they're sweet to us, because that can be fleeting. We can appreciate that they love us and that they're sweet to us, but that doesn't mean we're going to be like, oh, I'm so crazy in love with this guy. Women arrive at love through a lot of admiration and respect, and men arrive at love through a lot of adoration and respect. But it's kind of, they almost happen differently in the beginning. And that's what's been missing for you. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I hadn't really thought of it that way before. But yeah, I don't know if any men like that exist. <laughs> they do. Oh, they do. They do. Yeah. But I think Anna's right. You got to solve your living situation first before you can tackle anything else. That'll ease your pressure. And hopefully you can also reframe about instead of being like, oh my God, do I move in with him? I feel like you've been looking at the lease being over as like this rough deadline in your mind. Right. (laughs) And I want you to think about how you could afford to do something kind of interesting, whether it's like a different neighborhood choice, more than two roommates. I don't know. Look around. Attempt to make it fun for yourself, you know? Okay. Yeah. This is so hard to like move in with people I don't really know. (laughs) You know what? Be particular about it and trust your gut. Like if you do find some situations that look interesting, do your research, talk to them, check the space out, like be diligent about it, you know? Look for a guest house, you know, where you could live on your own. Like there's stuff like that out there. I just think this, if you really love Josh and you appreciate him, would you want that for him? If you were his best friend and you knew that the girl he was dating was moving in with him out of default or guilt or financial scarcity, would you want that for him? Um, I guess not. And I, I have talked to him. I'm looking into moving somewhere alone. Like I do make enough money. It would just be like a little bit extra onto my current rent price, basically, for me to like live alone. But then I feel like I would just have him over all the time because he's over all the time now anyways. You're doing a lot of like round-shouldered kind of behavior right now, which is like, well, he's going to be over all the time anyway. Like you really need to take charge, Alex, of your life. And he doesn't have to be over all the time. And I think you also don't understand that these things have their way of working themselves out so that if you do get your own place or you have roommates, things will shift and change because nobody wants to stick around forever with somebody who's not totally invested. And he'll start to see that and things will just kind of fade at some point. And you can't be afraid to let go just because you're getting so much nourishment from him. Because women have to also understand that, hey, I might be taking this guy's time up and that's not fair just because he's like a salve for me. I have to set him free so he can find somebody that's really, really excited about him. Like that's the mature thing to do. That's the wise thing to do. And then you're both freed up to meet other people. You can stay friends, but the kind, sweet, and funny are nice to haves for you, but they're not the entire thing. They're just what you appreciate about him, but they're not your must-have list, I think. So don't worry about that because I I wouldn't want somebody moving in with me because it's like, well, I'm going to see her every day anyway. It's like, oof, wait a minute. I'd rather you tell me the truth because I don't need crumbs. But Alex, I hope that your takeaway is that looking into the living situation will be a relief for you and a kind of a new adventure. Right. You're going to meet a ton of people this summer. 
I really believe that. Like, everyone's going to be ready to go. I hope so. <laughs> Alex, I love you. I think you got this. And thank you. Thank you. Alex, you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Sorry, I got so emotional before. You know what? I always say emotions are so good because they just mean that we're processing. You never fear emotion. It's just it's just what we need to kind of sort. So yeah, you never have to apologize. You know, you're not off. You're not wrong. You're just, you just need a little bit of encouragement to do what you know you need to do. Yeah, you, you kind of told me what I was already thinking of doing anyways like I already talked to Josh about it and yeah he was like oh but you know we could still move in together if you live alone like I could still pay some of the rent and I was like I guess but I'm really looking at apartments to be alone in my price range so yeah now start to live your life the way you want to lead it and we wish you all the best you can do this okay thank you (laughs) thank you so much for sharing with us Alex thank you thanks for having me um thank you for your advice (laughs) Thanks, Al. You're so welcome. Bye. Bye, Alex. Bye-bye. 